Welcome to Coming Out and Beyond. This is a show about LGBTQIA plus stories. I am your host, Amory Zanzel, and I am a late bloomer to the queer world, and I work with people coming out later in life. I provide both coaching and mutual support groups. I have many different labels, including, but not limited to, queer, lesbian, mom, daughter, sister, friend, minister, and fiance to my lovely partner, photographer, Tonda McKay. I passionately believe in the power of storytelling to change the world. In the telling of our stories, we often can help another person to hear their own. Today, my guest is Javanna, like banana. She is 40 years old, a mom to two kids, business owner, holistic dentist, intuitive and tarot card reader. She used to be a fundamental evangelical Christian. She had her spiritual awakening in 2000 and that 2011 and then her sexual awakening in 2018. Welcome, Giovanna. It's so nice to have you. Hello. Thanks for having me, Anne-Marie. Uh, it's good to see you again. It's been a while. It has been, but yeah. I've always enjoyed um, your leadership and your uh, in, uh, later in life community. Thank you. So this is a loaded question. Giovanna, tell me your story. <laughs> um, so I'm glad that um, you've provided this platform for us to share our stories. So thank you for that. Um, there's a few parts to my story and I made a little bit of a list because I knew that I would forget something if I didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm just gonna kind of give you the really short version beginning mm -hmm. to end and mm -hmm. hopefully you know the next minute or two and then we can dive into some more specifics. Okay. Um, so I um, the part that I want to talk about um, quite a bit is the religious part. Okay. Uh, so I was born in um, 1980 and my family of origin um, was pretty um, growing up chaotic, um, lots of alcoholisms and addictions to drugs. Um, my parents weren't very religious and didn't provide us with any kind of spirituality, um, mm -hmm. but I did go see uh, family members in the summertime and would spend a pretty good amount of time there and they would take us to church. Um, so the contrast was very um, stark going from a lot of you know partying and my parents' friends over all the time and me kind of being the adult watching all of the kids and then going to my family members where I could just be a kid and things were calm and um, mm -hmm. it was like a relief really. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was there one summer at age 10, my aunt um, presented me with the sinner's prayer and uh, said that I could say this prayer and I would accept Jesus into my heart and then I would be able to go to heaven. And the alternative, if I did not say the prayer, was that I would um, you know, burn in hell for all eternity um, with the devil. So I well. say the prayer. <laughs> what are options there? Pretty, you know, black and white, very yeah. black and white. So yeah. I said the prayer. Um, I continued with my, um, you know, gravitation toward what seemed like peaceful um, mm -hmm. with religion and church. And as soon as I got my driver's license when I was in high school, I drove myself to church every Sunday. Wow. And then that continued. I moved away. I graduated high school when I was 17 and I moved away from my um, parents' house about five hours south. I grew up in California and I moved in at my grandma's house and continued to found, found a church down there that was a very large um, college group at a mega church um, and did that for about 10 years until I moved to Michigan to go to dental school and then found a church community here and that church community actually ended up breaking apart over the gay issue. Um, so that was an interesting part of the story. Um, and then I moved away from that community to um, Battle Creek, Michigan, which is mm -hmm. where I bought my dental practice. And so I'm here in this community now. Um, so I met my um, kid's dad uh, when um, I was at that mega church college group. That's where we met. 
Mm-hmm. And so we met there when I was 18. We got married when I was 20. And then uh, we were together for 17 years married. Mm-hmm. And um, when I realized that I wasn't straight in 2018, I told him. And then we went down the road of divorce. And now we share 50-50 custody of our kids. Um, the person that I ended up um, having my awakening with was just a friend. And there wasn't any um, you know, sexual anything, really. We were only friends. In our community, we typically call them catalysts, which means it's like this woman that opens the like the door. Well, the a woman or a man, I guess, right. um, that opens up the door for you. So, would you term her a catalyst? I think actually she is the one who introduced me to that term. Ah, so yes, <laughs> oh yes, yeah. <laughs> um, she she exited the situation pretty quickly I think when she had been a lesbian her whole life and Mm -hmm. uh, she um I think had maybe potentially I don't know been a catalyst for several people she had made some comment one time about poster oven (laughs) you know that joke right so the, the joke about the toaster oven I don't know that. So on Ellen, when Ellen came out in her famous episode, uh-huh. Laura Dern, who was the one who turned Ellen, got a toaster oven. <laughs> so apparently the woman that you were with the first time around probably has a stock of toaster ovens in her <laughs> in her closet somewhere. No pun intended. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> so, <fun>. so anyway <laughs> yes so um we were only ever just friends and um I just realized that I I had in love feelings for her and that I had never felt those kind of in love feelings for my um my ex-husband um so that was that was a pretty big uh, realization for me trying to figure out what is this that I'm feeling um, so I'll get to this part in just a second. I just want to finish this. Uh, make sure I say everything I wanted to say. Oh, well, I, I'll get to that part. Um, so I ended up, um, oh no, no, I've forgotten what I wanted to say. Well, so you ended up, um, you, so you met this woman who was your friend Mm -hmm. and you realized that you had love feelings for her. Mm -hmm. Um, but something that you never had for your ex-husband. So what happened next? But that was just a friendship. So what happened next after that? It was just a friendship. Um, that was, um, telling my, my ex-husband that was pretty devastating for him. Um, Mm -hmm. understandably, um, I never, Oh, so this goes back to, this is what I wanted to say. It goes back to the um, evangelical Christianity part of mm-hmm. my story. Um, so when we met, I was 18 years old and I had dated like a few people in high school, um, guys, hadn't dated any women, um, was not aware at all um, about my attraction to women. Um, And then I um, hadn't had any long-term relationships and I knew because I was in this very evangelical box that I was going to abstain from having sex until I was married anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, And then pair that with me being very biologically oriented, the um, sex ed class with all of the STD pictures really was a good motivator <laughs> to around too. So I just kind of like married the two of those things. It's like, yeah, this is an easy one for me, real easy. So um, I met him when I was 18 and then we got married when I was 20. And so he was the only person that I ever had a long-term relationship with and the only person that I ever slept with. So my experience in, you know, exploring my sexuality was non-existent because mm-hmm. of the religious um, choices that I made um, because of how I 
I wanted some semblance of peace and calm in my life. Well, I understand that. Um, when I, I just finished my autobiography and um, it's really a memoir, but um, I talk about, because I came from a chaotic home as well. And so I talk about like church and school because I went to Catholic school. It was a place of safety for me. Like I knew, I knew what was gonna happen. I mean, I know that the Catholic church wasn't a place for safety for some people, especially a lot of young boys. But for me, it was a place where I knew what was gonna happen. You know, I was, I excelled at school. I mean, it was a really nice, safe, lovely place when I was young. So. I, it makes a lot of sense that I had a real gravitational pull towards that because it was a place of safety. So I understand that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I have some questions for you. So what you touched upon really, and actually I've been discussing this with a lot of people is purity culture, you know, and that, and I, I, it sounds like you got really steeped in that when yeah. you were young. So can you talk a little about that? What was it like growing up and going to, um, church and church school through through the 19, I think it was like the 1990s when purity culture and evangelical Christianity, fundamentalist Christianity was really, really big. Mm-hmm. So what was that like for you? Um, in high school, I remember limited conversations at the church that I went to there. It was an Assemblies of God church and I didn't I still don't have a great understanding of all the different denominations in Christianity, Um, but Assemblies of God tends to be more, um, from my experience, on the fundamental, literal, or Pentecostal fundamentalist, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a lot of, you know, uh, making sure that you are following what the Bible says, and the Bible is interpreted in a very specific way, and... um, there was a, I call it the uh, church box. So like there's the church box. And if you, you know, have all of the right beliefs, not just be saved, but you also have to believe all these other things, then Mm -hmm. you get to be in our box and then you get to be considered a true believer. Mm -hmm. And so that was, you know, I learned what all the things were because when my aunt, you know, said the sinner's prayer with me. And then I learned what by going to church, like, well, you have to be this kind of Christian if you're going to be a true believer. So then for me, it was, you know, okay, no sex before marriage, like end of story. And there was a lot of talk about it in the college group that I went to. It was a mega church. The college group had over 200 students in it. Um, the the young men who were in the college group wouldn't date. There was this thing about no dating. Um, and it was, you know, you are waiting for God to show you who your, you know, partner for marriage is. Um, and then you're just basically courting and marrying that person. And so there was not a lot of dating happening in, in the college group at all, which was really disappointing because I was thinking to myself, I'm, you know, graduated from high school, I'm going away to college, I'm thinking I'm going to date people. And then I get to this very conservative church and it was like, no dating. There is, we don't do that here. And so let me ask you, did like, so like, you know, you see this stuff on TV, was it like no kissing, nothing, or is it would just, and if you dated, did you have a chaperone? stuff like that I'm just I'm just really curious it was not that bad um, it wasn't that stringent although I know there are some very you know very structured religious groups that are that way the one that I was in was not that way I would say the fair majority of us were with the person that we married for you know um, a good amount of time I mean I was with mine for two years Um, but we were probably all doing all of the things except intercourse. Yeah. You know? Yes. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. That's like my, uh, my ex-husband and I talked about uh, people who were virgins, yet they did absolutely everything. Everything except- else. Penetration. Yeah. And that's it. <laughs> so, but you were still a virgin. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. depends on how you. <laughs> I guess it depends on how you. <laughs> <laughs> So you mentioned in your little um, paragraph that you wrote that you had a spiritual awakening in 2011. So it sounds like you were about thir- in your early 30s. So what happened? 
Yeah. So um, we were already married for 10 years. Oh my gosh. That's a long time at 30. Yes, it, it, it really was. And so um, I, I think because this is a big part of my coming out story, I need to share this part, which is a little bit before that. So in 2005, I went away to a six week program at the University of Washington. Um, and I met a young woman there who um, we just became really close. And um, we shared our, you know, our secrets, our fears, um, just very emotionally connected to each other. Um, she was a lesbian and had a girlfriend and I was married and had, you know, my husband, um, but we were just extremely close. And after the program ended, she flew home. She lived in Southern California. I flew home to um, Central Valley and um, I missed her incredibly for a very long time. And I wrestled with like, what is this that I'm feeling? Um, and while I was there at the program, I recognized in myself that I was attracted to her and I got up the guts one day and I told her while we were there and I said, I, I don't know how, it took me a long time to say it, but I finally said it. I said, I don't know how to say this except that I like you like that. <laughs> and, and she said to me, oh, you know, I kind of felt like you were going to say that. And it's, you know, not that surprising. I guess I've had other people say it to me before and, you know, it's normal. It's fine. No big deal. And then she just kind of brushed it off. And, and then we just carried on with friendship as if I had never said it at all. And so, um, and then when I went home to my husband, um, after the program, I had all of this internal conflict because I was incredibly connected to her and longed to be with her and all of this, just things that I had never felt before. And all the feels. <laughs> huh? All the feels. Yeah, all of the yeah. feels. And I did not know, I didn't have any frame of reference for what this was or what it meant. And so, and I was still very much a good Christian girl. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what it meant was that I then had to try to save her because of what the Bible says about people who are homosexual. So I could not self-reflect at that point mm -hmm. um, and say, what does this mean about me? Instead, I projected onto her, you know, um, you're going to go to hell and I really don't want you to go to hell. I care about you a lot. And can you say this prayer with me? And, you know, I want you to be safe. Um, and she cut me out of her life and rightfully mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like, it, it's really ironic because currently in my life, there's come a situation that I've never experienced before for I'm like, okay, I really do need to just cut this off and like not have this person be part of my life anymore. So like, I kind of give her props for teaching me that part back then. Mm -hmm. that I didn't mm -hmm. know that I would need now. You know, it was really interesting when she, when you told her that you had a crush on her, she was just very accepting, like, and it was no big deal. Yeah. Now, like, she was like, like, so if it had been quote unquote, maybe a straight girl that you had said this to, it would have been a much bigger deal for them. But she, as she was gay, she was like, okay, that's nice, but okay, let's move on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I think I really just, yeah, I, what I really wanted was for her to say, oh, I really like you that way too. And, mm -hmm. you know, let's leave our partners and run off together. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. that would have been my ideal situation rather than me having these thoughts while I'm, you know, at home with my husband, like, I just want to show up at her front door and I don't know what to say except for, I need to be with you. Like, it's, just, it's insanity is what it was. I was completely obsessed with her and just the thoughts and just all the things it was. It was well, really I think it sounds like that for the first time in your life, you were infatuated with somebody like really infatuated with somebody. Yeah. 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 She, she was maybe your mini catalyst. <laughs> Well, she turned out later to be the catalyst. Okay, so. so we ended up reconnecting after I had my spiritual awakening. So let's talk about that. Yeah, 
so, then people um, know that part of the story too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, yeah, so that was 2005. So um, the Central yep. Valley of California is an, a very um, conservative evangelical Christian area of California. And I know a lot of people think that California is very um, democratic and liberal and all of these things, but really it's, there are pockets of that. It's LA and San Francisco, and maybe some of the other like hippie villages, you know, around the- yes. California has but very- For the most part, it's yeah. very conservative. Um, so the thing that actually was, uh, I'll use the word catalyst because you used it before, um, of getting us out of that um, thinking was going to dental school here in Michigan at the University of Michigan when I got in here and moved to Ann Arbor. And Ann Arbor, Michigan is like, <laughs> I would call it like its own little bubble of a planet on planet Earth because it's like living on another planet. It is so um, open and um, just really interesting place to come to when you are such a fundamentalist mm -hmm. and then having you know every everything opening up and it's like well we're not going to be judgmental and we're going to be accepting and all of these things and um, at that point I had felt uh, a little bit of a pull to pull back on my own spiritual development because I felt like it would eventually cause my um, ex-husband and I to diverge a lot if I kept going down my spiritual path because I felt like he didn't really want to change or do anything different. Um, and so when we came to Ann Arbor, I knew I was going to be busy with dental school. And so if we were going to go to church, I just kind of left it up to him to find it and choose it and all these things. And he grew up in a very um, social justice oriented church. So he ended up finding a church that was kind of in between, I would say it was called the Ann Arbor Vineyard. Um, pastor Ken Wilson um, was the head pastor at the time. And he talked a lot about uh, this centered set approach, which is where it doesn't matter who you are or what you believe, but if you're facing the center toward Jesus, then you have a place here. Um, and that was like completely like I was like this is like heretical this mm -hmm. is, there's no box what do I do with this <laughs> and I was like kind of scared I was like am I is this wrong should I even be here like I was and in dental school I was the president of the Christian Dental Association and I held weekly Bible studies at the dental school and just like, you know, I was still very much in my, you know, evangelical thinking. Mm -hmm. So um, until um, it took probably a couple of years, but I think Do um, Ken really had a way of opening my eyes and what I ended up experiencing at that church was, um, I would say like, it, it was very freeing and, and the box was gone and the judgment was then gone. And, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like a loving person now. Can I ask you a quick question? Was the judgment gone of other people or of yourself? Hmm. At that point, I would say of other people. Mm -hmm. um, of myself came probably a little later. Mm -hmm. um, once things started unraveling for me and I kind of started dipping my toe into uh, you know, I was always praying and asking God to show me the way and to lead me and to guide me. And I have a very active spiritual life. And so when I pray, things happen and God shows me or brings me, brings things to me or people to me or messages, or it's just, it's always been that way for me. And, um, and the, the thing that really changed my my outlook was the book called Autobiography of a Yogi uh, mm -hmm. by Pramahansa Yogananda. Mm -hmm. And that book is about a young Hindu boy and he is um, telling his life story basically. And in that book, 
he has the same story that I have, basically. I mean, he, he is a young person of faith who prays and asks for guidance and God shows up. Mm -hmm. he, he's, he's going on a journey with his friend and they don't know where they're going or what they're doing. And they get on a plane or a train and they travel to this place and they just say, okay, where are we supposed to go? What are we doing here? And then, you know, this person will come or they'll see a sign or something. And then they'll know, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. And that's mm -hmm. very much how my life that's how I lived my life as well. It was very much just on the edge of my experience, writing life as just kind of wherever the Holy Spirit would lead me is what I would say. Um, well, would you say- I use would, different terminology, but yeah. that changed things for me because it showed me that this, this person is exactly the same as I am, praying to God the same way that I pray and receiving answers the same way that I receive answers. And so what fundamental Christianity had taught me was that we have the way and the truth and the light, and there's only one way and it's this way. Mm -hmm. So when I read that book, it was like, oh my God, they lied to me. They <laughs> lied to me. Well, you know, it's really interesting because um, I always think that as humans, that there are so many different really religions because as humans, we're incapable of listening to one voice, you know, we're, so there's lots of different human experiences sharing the nature of the divine. And so, it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, you might find it this place you can, like, I, I went to seminary at uh, Hartford Seminary, which has got the oldest Christian Muslim relationship, relationship program in the country. And I studied Islam for a very, now I, I'm not going to share any knowledge of it, but <laughs> because it's spotty at this point, but, you know, it was about love. And it was about love and it was about the nature of the divine. And in many ways, people who follow the path of Islam are often, you know, they pray five times a day. They are much more spiritually connected than some people who follow the Christian path. Mm -hmm. So I understand. Like you read that book and you're like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. This person who is a Hindu, I assume, right? Was he? Who was yeah. a Hindu and he brought um, Kriya Yoga um, and self-realization to the United States mm -hmm. um, is what he did. And so he has a self-realization fellowship. And after I was done reading the book, I was like, I want to sign up to be a member of the self-realization fellowship. And so I, and did all, you? I did. I got all the lessons and there's these, uh, you know, energizing exercises you can do. They're like yoga stuff. Um, so had you lost, had you left Christianity at that point? When I read that book, I, I would say I threw it out the window. Yeah, okay. it was done. It was just done. I and had, there were, you know, like I said, there were like breadcrumbs along the way, things that slowly but surely opened my eyes, opened my worldview. Um, the diversity training in dental school also was very um, important and instrumental. And um, I was part of the scholars program um, and there were, uh, I got to know some um, of the other students pretty closely and one of them was a Muslim. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, I think it's great that, you know, you're a Christian, I'm a Muslim. I, he said the same thing, I pray five yeah. times a day. Mm -hmm. I do all of these things. I'm very, you know, spiritually connected and just, seeing the love that he had um, and how he was so gentle in his approach to other people. And it was just really beautiful to mm -hmm. witness and to get to be so close with so many people who were very different than me. And just seeing like, we're all the same, like we're really not that different. No, we're not. So I have a question for you. So this is going on, you're going through the 2000 and teens and then you hit 2018. So I'm assuming you read your, the book, the journey of the Yogi book that you read um, before that. So I read that in 2011. Ah, so right about the same time. So yeah. that was your spiritual awakening. That was, that was part of my spiritual awakening. Uh, the other part was, um, I, I had my daughter in um, 2011 as well, 
And as I was pregnant, I started having um, really a lot of anxiety, I would say, about um, having a child with somebody who drinks alcohol. And my ex-husband was nothing like my parents at all, but he did like to have wine or scotch or whatever, you know, at night. And um, it just terrified me that I was going to be bringing a child into the world and I was in a relationship with somebody who used alcohol and I just couldn't handle it. And I, and on top of all of that, um, I had learned in my childhood that feelings weren't safe. So I had shut down my feelings. Mm -hmm. And when you're pregnant, there is a torrent of emotion that just wrecks your body. And I did not know what to do with that at all. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I think I'm going crazy. I feel like an alien in my own body. And I went and I sought therapy because I thought surely there is something wrong with me. Um, So I went to therapy. Um, I got together with a therapist who um, did this um, certain type of therapy called EMDR, Mm -hmm. um, eye movement rapid desensitization, and it's for trauma um, Mm -hmm. healing. And so she led me through some exercises that helped me realize and separate the fact that, you know, my dad isn't my husband Mm -hmm. and I could then go on in my marriage and I would be okay with this, you know, separation fully, like whatever exactly it does in your brain. Um, you know, they're not the same person. I don't have to be scared. And a lot of the people that I like, a lot of my clients have had EMDR. A lot of us come from a big, pretty big trauma background. And so they have found it extraordinarily helpful. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I sought therapy for that. Um, had my baby, um, and I just, once I threw out the Christianity thing, I didn't quite know what to do or where to go. I was still going to the same church. Um, and, and I think it was 2013, that church split over the gay issue, actually. Um, the head pastor, Ken Wilson, and um, the associate pastor, um, Emily. Um, and then there was another pastor, um, Donnell White. And, um, and Ken and Emily, um, we're on the side of we're going to be full inclusion and Donnell was not okay with full inclusion, including um, gay people serving as clergy in the church. So um, it went all the way up to the, you know, highest ranking national vineyard thing and they had a paper that came out about it. And so the church split. Um, Doc, Pastor Donnell kept the Ann Arbor Vineyard Church and then Pastor Emily and Ken went and started a new church that was all-inclusive and affirming and all the things. Um, And that was just about a year before I moved to Battle Creek. So at that point I was like, well, you know, I just don't even think I need church anymore. Like this is insane. And and I had a new baby and I, and I just had my second baby, my son. Um, So life was very, very, very chaotic at that time. But we moved over here and I started going to the um, Unity Church and that is a very inclusive church, which yes, I found yes. really beautiful. Um, they introduced meditation. They had a person come in who did sound bath healing. They had a person come in who did um, tarot card readings. And I was like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> My partner is a recovering Southern Baptist and she's still afraid of tarot card readings. <laughs> she's sure, like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm taking a tarot mastery class right now. (laughs) Um, But so I went to that church for a while and then I attended a Lutheran church for a while. Um, But I, the thing that helped get me back in touch with my intuition or my, my feelings was um, a Kabbalah teacher. She was just a mystic and a Kabbalist. And I went and I took classes with her and we did some um, art therapy as well and some visual guided imagery painting and things like that. And so she really got me back in touch with like, oh, I have a voice inside of me and I can listen to that voice. And when I started listening to that voice, then then things started kind of falling apart in my marriage mm-hmm. because it he was very, and I was very happy to have somebody who, you know, was the leader, the thinker, the one who, you know, 
I would go to him with all the things and he'd be like, okay, well, we're going to do this or we're going to think about it this way. And so it just felt the, the stability that he provided and the safety and the security of all of that was what I really appreciated and wanted and needed in that time of my life when I was married to him. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then that Kabbalah class and the spirituality and just starting to learn about all the other religions. Um, and then I, Rob Bell was real big at that time. I don't know if you remember yep. him he stepped away mm -hmm. from his evangelical stuff and started to go the more spirituality route. And then I read a book about um, hope beyond hell. And that kind of opened my eyes to the idea that like, maybe there isn't hell. Maybe everything there is in the wild and there is no fear. And yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, what if that is true? So well, how can you have a hell if you have a loving God? You can't well, reconcile the two. Yeah. It's, it's impossible. You can't reconcile the two. Yeah. yeah. So, and that really, and that was actually the thing that was the hardest part for me of my evangelical Christianity was my little sister chose to be agnostic and she didn't want to have anything to do with this evangelical Christianity. I was really torn up that she was going to go to hell because she didn't want anything to do with it. And, and I just was like, how can, but once I finally let go of the hell thing, I was like, oh, thank goodness. Like, <laughs> go to hell. Well, it's okay. You're everybody's okay. Oh my gosh. There is no fear. Yes. <laughs> so speaking of no fair fear, um, so when you started coming out, so what about that piece of the story? So you had your experience and you were with a with uh, somebody who turned out to be a friend. So what was that experience? And I know that um, you've tried on a couple labels over the last couple of years. So let's talk a little bit about that. So what was that experience like for you? Uh, okay. Let me, so ask you a really quick question. Let me ask you a really quick question. Do you think that reading that book and realizing that you didn't have to worry about hell anymore, there was no fear. And a lot of the things that happen when we're coming out later in the life is fear-based. You know, it, it's fear-based. Mm -hmm. So do you think realizing that, oh, wait a minute, if there's no hell, then no matter what choices I make in my life, mm -hmm. and the choice is not whether you're gay or bisexual, the choice is what you do with it, if whether you're going to come out, oh, you, um, you know, did it make you feel braver? Um. I was not afraid of going to hell at that point. So I was not afraid of what it meant for me. Um, did it make me braver? I think the thing that made me brave was learning to trust my own voice and mm -hmm. saying it um, because that was also not something that was safe when I was a child, you know, voicing what you wanted, what you needed, who you were. Well, and also self, you know, oftentimes emotionally intuitive little girls are pretty smart about what's going on in the home. Yeah. And so when that's brought up, a lot of times, you know, we're told, no, that no, everything's fine. Right. <laughs> or, you know, so like, we're pretty aware of what's going on. And, you know, we, there's a lot of pretending in alcoholic homes. Right. And so, so we learn to not trust our own voices. Exactly. And, and that's really the part that I regained in all of this is learning to trust myself. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent. So I don't think that I have, I, I do think that that helped with the bravery because mm -hmm. it was a part of myself that was such a part of my identity for so long. And I was able to drop that mm -hmm. part of my identity and realize that I'm actually not just okay, I'm better than I was. Mm -hmm. So when I got to this point of realization where I was like, oh my gosh, I, I, I am, I'm feeling things that I've never felt before. And I know that I need to be honest about it. And I, there was a conversation that happened 
and I'm always asking for clarity and for signs. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the times I was with the, the person who was my catalyst. So what happened was I ended up, um, I had my spiritual awakening and I wanted to apologize to her. Mm -hmm. And I told my ex-husband about it um, because back in 2005, when, um, when I came back home from the University of Washington and I was feeling very conflicted about everything, I told him everything. I told him that I was attracted to her. I told him, you know, all of the things that I was feeling and that I felt like um, this was the devil tempting me. I had to resist the devil so that he would flee from me and then I could get back onto my, you know, straight and narrow path, um, which is what I did. So this time around, um, I, I told him, I said, you know, I really feel um, horrible about trying to save her because I now I'm, I'm getting like how that could make her feel um, in my, in my spiritual awakening and my, you know, oh my gosh, I tried to save so many people because I believed that they were going to go to hell. And I, it really did put a wedge between me and, and my best friend and, um, my, my parents, my sister, just, you know, everybody in my life who didn't want to be in the box. Mm -hmm. And I would try so hard to get everybody in the box. My gay uncle, <laughs> he, he's like, you were insufferable. Um, and so I'm like, yeah, I was, I was a true believer. Like I really believed in this stuff. And I knew that I had to do this if I was going to go to heaven. And so it was just so a part of who I was, but putting all that aside, getting to the point now where I am able to realize that that not only isn't true, but um, I've heard a lot of people along the way. And so I, I made a list of people and I was like, I really need to apologize to people. And when it came to apologizing to her, I you know, talked to my then husband and I was like, hey, I feel like I should reach out to her and tell her I'm sorry. And he was like, yeah, you should definitely reach out and tell her. And so that was kind of my green light to reach out was the fact that he gave me permission mm -hmm. um, to, to reach out and just tell her, you know, I'm a different person now. I don't believe the same things I used to believe. And I just really wanted to tell you I'm sorry. Um, and, and much to my surprise, she, she responded. And then we started talking on the phone and just, she lived in California and I was in Michigan. Um, but it was very easy for us to reconnect and, you know, re, uh, connect on our, we had a lot of actual similar things in common and, um, she actually came out to, um, stay with me and my family for, um, Thanksgiving mm -hmm. that year. And so we got to spend some time together and then, um, she flew home and, I had that same feeling when she was leaving again. It was like something about her and I together felt so um, connected, like something, I was missing something without her. And I, and I said that to her, I said, I feel like I'm missing a part of me when I'm not with you. And she said, yeah, I feel the same thing. Um, and I said, well, why do you think that is? And she's like, because such good friends are hard to come by. And mm -hmm. so she was very like, you know, we're friends. And for me, when, she, when I read that text message that said friends, I was like, oh, like friends. And I bawled my eyes out the whole way home, dropping her off at the airport because <laughs> I was like, no, I, I love you. Like, I, I didn't know at that time, I'm still not sure if I knew at that time that I was feeling in love, but that's what it felt like to, you know, mm -hmm. just, you know, I just wanted to be with her. Mm -hmm. So um, it took me a while to kind of unpack those feelings. That was in November, um, Thanksgiving. And then I flew out to California to go see my family. And I went to go see her at her apartment in Sacramento. Um, which is just a couple hours away from where my family lives. So when I was there, um, the thing that woke me up to, oh, this is what I'm feeling. Um, and I've never felt it for my husband was a conversation that I had with her. And she, I told her, um, I 
think that you're the only person that I've ever felt this way about, and I'm not sure what it means. And her response to me was, so you've never felt like this for your husband? And I just was like, no, I've never felt this way for my husband. And then it kind of hit me. I was like, oh my goodness. All the pieces fell into place. Yeah, it just hit me so hard after that. And got home, um, the ex-husband and husband um, took the kids and went to go visit his family for a week. I flew home to go back to work. And I was there by myself for about a week. And I bawled my eyes out every single day. I kept my, my shit together when I was at work and I would literally get in the car, the car door would close and the waterworks would start and I just lost it. And I could not believe that this was what was coming to me. <laughs> and I just knew that I had to tell him I, and that's why I was crying so much because I just knew that this was going to be. Well, and I think you also knew that your life was going to change once you told him. And you worked really, really hard to get your life to where it was. Mm -hmm. you, had, you had worked really hard to get it there. And then you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> my life is going to change. And like you and I have seen a lot of people come out. And so, you know, there's like this six month year period where people just sort of, it's that um, from Al-Anon, what is it? It's awareness, okay. uh, acceptance and action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're getting to this awareness, you had your awareness, but then you have to get to the acceptance phase. And usually awareness and acceptance is, I don't know, six months, years, sometimes years for people. But, you know, you realized mm -hmm. that things were going to change. And you were, if you, once you told him, things were going to change. And the interesting part about it was when I wrote the, the letter, I've always been one to write letters. I've never been one to be able to verbally say something. I always mm -hmm. have to get it out in a letter. And so I wrote him a letter. And when I wrote the letter, I said to him, I don't know what this means for our marriage, but I just knew that I had to be honest with you. And then... Um, he's had a lot of grieving for, you know, many, many weeks. Um, and we decided to go to a therapist mm -hmm. and it was actually the second meeting with the therapist where I realized what the feelings I was feeling meant about my sexuality, because I had to have somebody else reflect it to me for me to be like, oh my goodness. And what she said to me was, okay, Giovanna, it sounds like so-and-so stimulated a sexual awakening in you. And I just like, everything just like shut down and I was in shock. And I'm like, wait, does that mean that I wasn't sexually awake? What does this mean? Does this mean that I'm a lesbian? <laughs> <laughs> There's a, there's an Instagram account called, oh, fuck, I'm a lesbian. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, and she was actually the one, she found some articles about later in life lesbians and she gave them to me and she said, this might resonate with you. Why don't you read through it? And I read through it and I was like, oh my goodness, what if this is it? <laughs> so I told my best friend, um, like right away. I don't tell, she's probably the first one I tell everything to. And um, she said to me, oh, I always wondered why you weren't boy crazy in high school or junior high. <laughs> like, oh, right. Cause everybody else was going crazy. And I was just like, eh, whatever. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, I always thought the girls were so pretty. Oh my gosh. <laughs> what? <laughs> So, um, small town USA and gay slurs in abundance. And then of course the evangelical Christianity and oh, you didn't have a shot to figure it out when you were, there was no way that I could have seen that until I threw off the, well, especially, especially with church providing what it did for you. Safety from the chaos. Yeah. Yeah. That just wasn't your journey. 
no to figure it out you were you had to do it when you're a little later which is i think some i i I, you know everybody's journey is so valid but sometimes it's nice sometimes to figure things out a little bit later i think we reach we react with it with maturity about things because sometimes except you know when we're in our second adolescence (laughs) we're not very mature (laughs) so i'm gonna wrap this up now and I really loved your story. I, so the book again, that you changed your life so much because that's the book. When I asked the question, like, have you read a book or a movie that's changed your life? What was it again? It's called The Autobiography of a Yogi. Yogi. Yes. I've by Pramahansa Yogananda. Okay. And so did you have a, uh, did you have a yoga? Did you have a coming out song? I did actually. And it was one of the other later in life um, queer people that uh, they posted it on one of the Facebook forums and um, she was singing in her hairbrush to it. (laughs) And I listened to that song over and over and over and over again. And it is um, by Gem and the Holograms and it's called The Way I Was. Ah, okay. And so what's the best thing about your life now that you figured so much out? And, and, you know, it's, it's like, you're so not done. Oh, no. I mean, we didn't get to the other part of the story. I figured out. (laughs) We're going to have to, we got to break that up. You'll have to come back and give me the other part of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Nana has a three hour episode. (laughs) Right. We're going to have to have you come back. Um, I want you to come back and share the other part of the story. So, so because you can't, so we'll stop at the lesbian part. Okay. So yeah, best so I, life, life now. I I just feel like I'm I'm free, and I'm I get to be authentically who I am, and and that this is the most awesome part of it all is that the woman that I that I was in love with, um, her authenticity allowed me to realize who I am. And my authenticity now is opening up. All, all people all around me are, they just start talking to me and telling me their stories and things. And I'm like, oh, wow, like we can connect on so much stuff. So I really enjoy that part of life right now where I'm just being who I am and it's okay to be me. Like, I'm so good, it's okay. <laughs> and you're not going to hell. I'm not going to- <laughs> <laughs> oh well you are delightful as always and seriously I'd love you to come back we could do a Javana part two <laughs> seriously I'm, I'm really serious about that so I would love to hear the the next part of the story after that um thank you so much for taking the time to share your story I do believe that you know you sharing this part of your story of leaving conservative Christianity may be so helpful for other people who may be scared and may be still hold those tenets that you used to so strongly believe in. So thank you so much. You are helping somebody today. I know you are. All right, my friend. Thank you.